Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Three, two, one, Dallas, and we're on. Dude, I'm so excited to do this again, brother, because everything we talked about in the last interview has pretty much come true now with how important we talked about the impact that DDPY would have with the COVID, with what it would do with people, with just the hope that it would bring to people. How do you feel with all this come to existence, man, that we talked about this probably like just only like three months ago? You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things that, DDPY is like a eight-year overnight success. <laughs> it only took eight years to get here. But the last eight years, it's just been building um, organically through you know people who believe in the program because they see such incredible results. And now that people are trapped inside and it looked like things were loosening up, well, that just made it all worse. So uh, everybody's going to be trapped inside even longer. I'm just glad that I can help people have some sort of a solution to help them to, uh, you know, to get through these times. Because I don't care if you're running or lifting weights or doing DPY, you know, you, um, you have to do some kind of exercise to relieve, relieve stress. And today... Uh, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of people are going through a lot of stress, you know? So I'm just, I'm happy that I can help some of the people, you know? Dallas, when you looked at your life, man, when you were going through your journey, did you always see yourself that at some point because of your personality, because you're so caring that you would help people or did that come to you later in life? Um, I've been, it, it, it Helping people like this, I didn't see it at all. <laughs> but helping people, like when I was running nightclubs when I was 23, 24, 25 years old, right on up till I was in my 30s, every Christmas I did like free admission on the weekends when you bring in police for dots. I did it at my house, uh, I think it was 1990. I guess it was 1996, and we had done it every year. But in 1996, we had over 227 toys there. Like, that was the craziest party ever. <laughs> and wow. uh, um, so I was always trying to find ways to give back and to help people out. Uh, if you go back to my wrestling career, I helped at least 30 guys with a dream. In other words... I helped at least 30 guys get jobs. You know, um, I, I've always played it, paid it forward. Now, today, it's a completely different animal. <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, like, I get letters, you know, let's call them letters, old school letters, but emails, posts, tweets, you know, Instagrams, uh, whatever you want to call, wherever they come from. I get messages from people that you know sometimes it's freaking well you know i just tear up you know because i'm like so blown away by their story you know um and there's so you know, i'm just i'm just lucky you know man and, you know we have we have a new documentary coming out first of all the main documentary that we did was the resurrection of jake the snake and if any of your people out there have not seen it if you go to Amazon Prime, you'll find it there. The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. It's about three wrestlers, but it has really nothing to do with wrestling. And uh, Relentless is along the same way. Um, but I originally blew my back out wrestling. I didn't start wrestling until I was 35. 
my career took off when I was 40 at the apex, the top of my career. I just signed a multi-million dollar three-year deal. That's when I blew my back out. And I was told by three spine specialists, I was never going to wrestle again. I am the guy who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga the first 42 years of my life. But when I blew my back out, I would do anything. And I was so grateful that yoga was there because it really changed my life. Now, it didn't completely heal me what I was looking for. It, 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 it partially healed me. And that's when I started the mix, DDPY. That's why I'm okay with people calling it DDP yoga, but I've been branding it DDPY for the last four years. And it's really starting to take hold now. Because DDP yoga isn't just yoga. It's yoga, um, it's yoga positions, rehabilitation techniques, old school calisthenics, done with a slow burn movement, because that's how I had to do them. And I figured out it gave you so much more strength doing them with slow burn movement. And it, it was slow, but I could do it. And then I came up with the whole dynamic resistance and yeah, the company has grown so crazily, but it's because I'm always reinventing it. You know, I'm always doing something different. So once I blew my back out and I came back and uh, they said at 42, they said my career's over. Uh, three spine specialists. They said my career was over. At 42, they said my career was over. At 43, I was a world champ. There's a picture right, by, right behind me right there. there. There's the belt right over there. Um, the uh, that moment was surreal on so many different levels because no one believed in me in the beginning. And I tell people all the time, there's only one person who has to believe in you, and that's you. And along the way, you're going to find people that will. And I made one believer after another. The first one was Jake's. The first one was Dusty Rhodes. Without Dusty Rhodes, there is no Diamond Dallas Page. But he didn't believe in me as a wrestler. He believed in me as a as a manager, a color commentator. He believed in me as a guy who brought energy to the room. Uh, he put me in booking meetings, which is like the writers. That's where he believed in me. Uh, Jake Roberts was the first, you know, huge name to believe in me as a talent. And without Jake, I always say without Dusty, there is no Diamond Dallas Page. But without Jake, there's no three-time world champion. And without the both of them, there's no WWE Hall of Famer. Because both of those guys believed in me. And I tell people all the time this. When you finally find someone that believes in you, like never underestimate the power you give someone by believing in them. Like it was huge when Jake started to believe in me. And then when I came back to WCW and Dusty saw me down at the power plant is where a lot of that young guys trained. And he just happened to see me down there one day and he couldn't believe in one year how much I'd improved. And then he believed in me. Then Hulk, Hulk Hogan believed in me. And then Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, those guys really believed in me. And so it it just started a snowball. So I never would have had the career I had. I never would have been the Hall of Famer without discovering what today is called DDPY. And again, why I'm branding it DDPY, because I want people to stop calling it just effing yoga, you know, because it's not. And when yogis, they're like, well, that's not real yoga. And I'm like, no shit. Yeah. Like, no, it's not. It's its own animal. But the base is yoga based. The positionings, you know, the strength, um, which I take it to a whole different level. But, the, you know, the the breaking up of the scar tissue, the healing parts of the yoga position, but so are the rehabilitation techniques. So once I finally got that I healed myself, well, then I started sharing it with friends of mine who were beat up. And when I saw their results, I was like, wow. And that's when I decided at some point when I was out in LA, uh, I was getting little movie parts here and there, but I could see no one was really believe it in this 47, 48, 49 year old actor. 
Like they, I couldn't get anybody enough to get little roles here and there, but no one to see me as the O because you need when you go to Hollywood, unless you've got a huge Q rating, uh, which I did. If I'd have went ninety nine, whole life would have been different. I might not even have gone on this journey. So I'm glad it all happened the way it happened. I tell people all the time, you can't just thank God for all the good things that happened. You gotta thank God for the for the bad things and the things that have make you step back and reassess your life. Like when I put my back out, I had just signed a multi-million dollar three-year deal. If I don't get in the ring in the next six months, that contract is gone away. So it was imperative for me to do that, but everyone was telling me I couldn't do it. And I'm talking about the highest professionals at the highest level of spine, you know, surgery uh, uh, for the, you know, the guys who do that. And I didn't listen to them. I focused on what my body was telling me. So what looked like the worst thing ever happened to me turned out to be the best thing to ever happen, not just to me, but everybody around me. That was pretty cool. That's awesome, man. We share the same experience that I worked in the nightclub business for four years in Las Vegas. You did it in Fort Myers. Only people that work in nightclubs know the benefits and what knowledge you get working in a nightclub. How did that help you, man? What did you learn working in a nightclub? Oh, my God. Because I was the promoter, too. So no one, when I finally got to where... I was getting a little bit of momentum as a wrestler. Um, no one was giving me the opportunity. You have to understand that in professional wrestling, everybody knows it's predetermined. So in a world of, say, theater, you know, if you're, if you're doing a show, let's use it as this example. If you're doing a show and you start to, you know, get people who are really loving that character they're going to write more stuff for you. Well, in professional wrestling, if you're not, you know, young and jacked up and, you know, uh, got a great look, uh, there's no reason for them. You know, if you don't have that, they don't believe in you because it's a very cosmetic industry. And uh, so what I learned was I started to promote the diamond cutter and the sign as part of the brand. And I would go out there and they wouldn't let me beat anybody who meant anything. So what I did is I went out there and I took these guys that were, they're called enhancement guys. A lot of big stars were enhancement guys, later went away and turned into stars, you know, but they were kids when they started doing that. I was in my late thirties. So you pretty much are stuck in that position. But when I did get a win over some of the enhancement level guys, I made that guy look like he was Ric Flair. And then out of nowhere, I caught him with a diamond cutter. And now, instead of just a pop, there was a sign that came with it. And then I would throw up the sign, and I didn't really see anybody doing it. And then I filmed every match. One of the times I did it, because I would throw it up and I'd bring it down. And I watched a guy that was you know, with the camera lane, because we're talking about my own little tripod and camera out there, and we're filming my match. There was a guy right in the camera line. As I threw my hands up, he started to do this. He's sitting down, right? And then when I throw him down, he brought him back down. I went, oh, now I get it. I would throw my hands up and I would hold them there for three, two, one, bang. Now that gave people a chance to get involved. And then next thing you know, 30 people were doing it, then 100, then 400, then 1,000, and then 5,000. And then I got to a point where I walk out there and out of 20,000 people, 15,000 are throwing up the hand. I have a picture here 
when I was in, and I don't know how good you'll be able to see it, but this is in Dallas Stadium. I'm 60 years old at this point, and it's WrestleMania. And if you can really get a look at this, you'll see that's me, that little picture right there. Yeah. But if you look at everybody right there, just about everyone in that part of the building has their hands up doing this, the diamond cutter side. Wow. I mean, that's why I love the shot. There's 101,000 people there. I would bet on my life savings that easily 50,000 people raise their hands. So go back to what I learned in the nightclub. I learned how to create a brand and get people involved and having fun. So they're part of the show. When I was up doing the hot legs contest in a nightclub, if I was in the DJ booth and I was doing a rock and roll set for the DJ, give him a break and I'd throw some, and I'd get the people singing and, you know, hit, hit it down on the hook. And, you know, uh, you know, we wanna fight. For the right to party. You know, yeah. I'd get them, whatever the songs were hot, I'd get them up, get them going. I'd be up on the stage. I'd, you know, I'd steal some of Andrew Dice Clay stuff. You know, I learned so much of be, working in front of a crowd because no one really, you know, a lot of guys come out there and they've never even talked in front of people. I've been doing, I've been talking in front of 800 to 1,000, you know, for, before I went up there for, I don't know, probably about seven years. Wow. You know, and, and I did all the radio commercials myself. So I knew how to do a 60 minute or a 60 second or a 30 second hard, you know, commercial, you know, mostly 60. And you really don't have many promos go more than that, you know? So I had all this experience that really played in to everything I was going to do in wrestling. Diamond, that, that car accident you got when you were young, man, there's a couple people, well-known people that have gotten into accidents and they say they've changed almost their mind in a certain way. One of them is Sam Kinison. Another one is Roseanne Barr. Mm. You got hit by a car very young. How did that help your mindset? How did that shape you, man? Well, it really ripped me down first because, you know, every goal I've ever set for myself, and I mean every goal, and I set a lot of goals. I set daily goals, you know, weekly goals, monthly goals, yearly goals, five, ten. I mean, I set, I set them all. Um, every single goal I've ever had to, had to do, I either came a little to the left, a little to the right, a little bit under, or I blew past it. So that's what I know about the power of setting goals. So when I was 12 years old, I honestly, I'd been playing football for three years at that time, you know, Pop Warner, but I loved it. And I was naturally gifted, you know, at least that's how I remember it. And I thought I would someday I was gonna play for the Dallas Cowboys as a defensive end or the Jets or the Giants. I grew up in Jersey. You know, um, I really I really thought that was going to happen. And then I got hit by that car. And then they wouldn't let me play football anymore. They wouldn't let me play hockey anymore. I was pretty good at that too. They would let me play baseball or basketball. And baseball, I never even made a damn team. And basketball, I didn't make the team in the seventh grade. But I figured, well, they're not going to only play anything but this. I'll go out for a team. And, and I sat on the bench. You know, I was used a little bit here, a little bit there. And I'd never sat on the bench on anything. So what really focused me, a lot of times people have to be disturbed. Something has to really upset them to make them change and put the work in. And what, what I learned was that summer, like coming off that basketball season, I learned I am going to play every day as much as I can through the rest of this school year. But come summertime, every single day, 
all day long. I'm going to play. And what was really interesting about basketball, you really don't have to have a team to play. You can play one-on-one. You can play three-on-three, two-on-two, five-on-five. You can play half court. You can play full court. You can play by yourself. You can do dribbling drills. You can shoot hooks. You can make moves. You can shoot dump shots. You can shoot foul shots. There's so many things that you can practice. And in the beginning, I was never even picked. But then I started to be picked last. And then I got a little bit better. And I was picked like seven. Before you knew it, I was within a year, I was picking the teams. And that over that summer, I improved so much that. We, I started on our freshman team. We were undefeated. Sophomore year, I started playing varsity. And I didn't play the first seven games because I wouldn't cut my hair. But finally, I cut my hair, and I got to start the next game. And I learned that work ethic equals results. Inside my Hall of Fame ring, that WWE gave me inscribed that says work ethic equals dreams, explanation point, DDP. That's what I learned from that car, getting him. And it wasn't a lady's fault. I walked right out in front of it. So I wasn't paying attention. I was, it was snowing. I was looking past the car, yelling to my buddy Stan and looking at the bus, which was way down. The highway, you know, and uh, bottom line is, again, looked like the worst thing never happened to me. It was another thing that I consider the best thing ever happened to me because it really taught me what work ethic is. And so many people, they don't have that because they never figured that out. And a lot of people are just lazy, (laughs) you know? Yeah, that makes sense, man. That sucks. Let's talk about hair real quick, man. I'm a big hair guy. I don't have my hair anymore. You're known for having a great set of hair, man. Do you miss having that kind of hair? You know, I do. It was fun. This is like, oh, oh God, I can't find. I had a picture the other day. Oh, here it is. Here it is. This is before I'm in wrestling, right? Before I'm in wrestling, I got a nightclub in Fort Myers, Florida. And this is Luke the Bushwhacker and Ted DiBiase. Look at that head of hair. Wow, dude, you look like a BG there, bro. You look like one of the BGs. It was like hair on top of hair on top of hair. Um, I, you know, I still got enough to slick it back, but you know, I thought I would leave it long forever, but when, when you started losing all of it, I realized I wasn't. Um, but uh, it was fun, man. When I was at my high school picture, my hair's down here. You know, I was just, I was one of those guys that, really could hang with everybody. And that's another thing of being a young kid growing up in a broken family. Um, I was with my dad, my brother and sister went with my mom, who in turn had my grandmother raise them. I tell everybody, by the time I was three years old, my mom was married, divorced, and had three kids. She was 19 at the time. You know, so we were all kids, you know? And, uh, when I was with my dad, my dad was, you know, he was like New Year's Eve on two legs. And, you know, he, he partied a lot. And I can't imagine having three kids at 21. But he did, and he didn't do it well. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, I still love him. But uh, he was not the best dad. And I bounced around from family to family. And the positive side of that is, it made me incredibly adaptable. Like in high school, I was a jock, but I was also a surfer. And I hung around with the geeks and I hung around with the cool kids. You know, I didn't really, you know, it wasn't, you know, nothing from, I don't know why, but not, you know, I, I just hung out with everybody. I didn't care if you were Asian, black, yellow, green. I mean, if you were good people, you were good with me, you know? And, uh, you know, to me, um, you know, the, that whole, uh, I don't think it's a chameleon. I just think it's like just being adaptable. You know, like I have hung out with CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and 
Chuck Zito, who was uh, uh, the uh, president of the Hells Angels New York chapter group for 25 years, is one of my good friends. Wow. <laughs> you know, so you know, I don't. I, I just look at people for who they are, and uh, and uh, and it's kind of like that's the kind of people do my program. Like it's everybody, you know. It's not everybody who does it, but it's every, there's no one person or type of individual I'm trying to work with. It's really like everybody. Nice, man. Uh, you mentioned there relationships. I think relationship is more important currency almost than money, man. The building relationship stuff. They don't mm. teach us that in school. I would eliminate algebra and put in relationship. 101. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because listen, no, and in relationship, no. also like they don't talk to us men of how to deal with hair loss. That's a hard thing, man, especially when you do it at a young age. How right. to deal with insecurity, how to deal with, and a lot of societal problems are because of men, because we do stuff that people don't understand. You probably look, you're you're a big dude. You were 6'4", probably what, at the age of 18, 15? Like really young, right? Yeah, probably like uh, 50, by the time I was probably 15 or 16, I was 6'4", and super skinny. So you know, who's going to have skinny. empathy for, for that kid? You know, you're a big yeah. dude. Nobody. And so you mentioned relationships, man. Why do you think you're so good at building relationships? Because I care. <laughs> I care. Uh I, I always tell people, it doesn't matter who you know or who knows you. It's about who's willing to say they know you. Who's willing to pick up the phone and make a call for you? Who's, you know, who's willing to put their name on the line for you? And that just doesn't happen. It may happen sometimes because of your family, but even family, man, plenty of family members don't talk to each other. You know, I, I, I tell my kids all the time and, and my, and my daughter, Brittany, she really gets it. That that's probably the best thing she does is she has a lot of amazing relationships, like people who really care about her. Um, my daughter, Lexi, has gotten much better at it. And I would tell her, I said, you just can't meet someone and they're going to want to do stuff for you. You got to do stuff for other people. You've got to do it, not because you have to, you do it because you want to. And then you got to show up. You know, like we have a new documentary I started saying in the beginning of the show called Relentless coming up. It starts from me blowing my back out Kevin Nash hit me with a power bomb. That wasn't the power bomb that put me out. And it wasn't Kevin Nash hurting me because that's what we do. We fall down. We get thrown down. You can't fake gravity. It wasn't that bump. It was the bump that broke, you know, the straw broke the camel's back, so to speak. Um, but, um, um, the relationship part, well, for as um, uh, relentless, what I was starting to say there, the new movie we got coming out, you get to really see, because I really get into talking about relationships. And sometimes it's not going to happen. Most times it's not going to happen when you want it to. But if you continue to build the relationships, when you need the people, like, at the end of this, this whole documentary, which is about you know what we've done and where we are with this, it started out just about, let's talk about the company. And then we started talking about my life. And then we got involved like in this whole journey. And we started this, you know, when I blew my back out, it was in 1999. Um, and we started filming I, my friend Steve, you and I started filming about 16 or 17 years ago. So we have 17 years of film, you know, that was wow. at that time, you know, helping different people. And uh, 
And Cody Rhodes, who's Dusty's son, I've been mentoring since he was 12 years old. If, you know, if he needs me, I'm going to be there. I, I started in the beginning because Dusty, without Dusty, I would never have had the life I've had. And I wanted to help him out. And uh, me and Cody just, we jived. And when he won his state championship where he went undefeated that year, 48, no, I flew back in, you know, from LA to see it. And then, and I mentored him through that whole thing. His dad did, and I did. And uh, then the next one he lost is like 12th match. And I called him up like, wow. hey, hey, young buck. I used to call him young buck all the time. And anybody who knows anything about wrestling or AEW, the young bucks and Cody are super tight. Well, there was no young bucks around, but I called Cody young buck. And I did it for his whole, God, the whole time he was a teenager. And um, I said, uh, so, uh, hey, young buck, how you doing? And he goes, Dallas, I lost. You know, I up and lost. I go, thank God. He goes, thank God. Why would you say that? I said, coach, do you think you learn anything from winning? Because you don't. You learn from losing. You learn from falling down. You learn from making mistakes and how to correct them. I said, would you have rather have lost to that kid in the quarterfinals being 44-0 and him beat you then? He's like, God, no. I go, exactly. I said, here's the advantage you have. First of all, what did you learn from that? And he told me. I went, perfect. I said, so here's where you have the advantage in your favor. That guy thinks he beat you. He doesn't know who Cody Rhodes is. He doesn't know how you're going to analyze this and you're going to work on every mistake. It got to a point over that season where no one wanted to be pinned by Cody. Like they know they're going to get beat, but they didn't want to get pinned. So he figured it out about three matches into it. So what he did was after he'd take the guy down, he'd let him back up again. And then he'd take him back down. And then he let him back up. Then he'd take him back down and he let him back up. And he'd take him back down until they got blown sky high. And then he'd fit him. So he was at a different level of conditioning. And I was there again. I flew in from L.A. I brought my daughter Brittany with me. We went to the matches. We were up in the stands. And when you're in a championship situation in Georgia – for wrestling, you got five seats on the uh, on the mat, and they're all family members. And Cody yelled for Dusty, "Get Dallas down here!" And I went down there and I sat. You know, one of the family members had to leave, but wow. I've, I've I've always been considered family. So uh, he met the same guy who beat him, and no he. And he ate him alive. And um, in Relentless, I come back and I wrestle in, you know, January of this year, just one time. And to go out there and see what I did at 63, it was a six-man tag, so I wasn't in there the whole time. But I did some stuff that I'd never done before. And Cody put that all together. Wow. And, and one thing he said, he said, Dallas has always showed up. Like showed up when I need him. I'm just there. To build real relationships, I mean real relationships. You got to be there for the other people. It's not just about you. And sometimes you give and 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 give and you give and you give and nobody's giving back. That's the one. That's the hard part, man. That's when you see it. That that's the hard. Dallas, you're like that because you think your dad wasn't like that with you. Like you missed that relationship part. You know, I I didn't judge him. I didn't judge him till much later in life. I didn't judge him. 
Because he was a kid. He was 21. My mom was 19. When they had three kids. And they both sucked at that. <laughs> right. Did you get your size from him? My mom was great. She be No. It was like from my, like my an uncle on my on my father's was a big guy. He's like six five. Um, so that's the only place that I, I could find it. Uh, but me and my dad were so we're a lot alike. And so, so my old man did me the favor in a lot of ways. I'm not going to make that decision because it's unfortunate because a lot of your your kids, like I will tell, it's funny because certain four girls, you know, that, that I consider my girls, two of them came with my second marriage and then we broke up. But I never, as far as I was concerned, they were still my kids and vice versa. The funny part is their actual birth dad, who is a super, super guy, me and him are best friends now. Nice. <laughs> so he's like, we got to do this book. So a tale of two dads, you know, to help the bonus dad with them. But Lexi and I are so tight, uh, right too, but really big tight because Lexi will listen. And I would say 60% of the time, she's going to actually listen and like, okay, I don't want to do that. Other times, she's going to go with her heart. And I always tell her, I am not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what I would do with you know, over 60 years experience. And Brittany too. <laughs> Brittany does what she wants about 80% of the time though. But she, to her credit, she listens. And, uh, you know, if she go back and change some of that stuff, I think she, I know she would. But, you know, that's how you learn. That's how you learn. Making mistakes and then see where it goes. And some people just keep continuing to make the same mistakes over and over again. And that's what Edison would call, that was Edison's definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over and over again, same way and expecting a different result. Like it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, you've got to change how you do things. But the whole, the whole relationship thing for me, I have a lot of really close friends, like not a few. I have a lot that there's any, I have at least 25 people, I could pick up the phone and call them right now and say, I need you to get here. I need you. They would be here. And I'd do the same thing for them. You know, and, and I consider that, consider that, you know, everything. Um, last night, my girl Paige, uh, we've been together a year in, uh, in December. And uh, she had never watched It's a Wonderful Life all the way through. She had just seen pieces of it. And I'm like, you can't see pieces of It's a Wonderful Life. You've got to see it from beginning to end. If someone's talking, you hit pause. You know, you can't miss anything. You know, because a lot of movies don't hold up over the years. But that movie... That movie holds up in spades because there's so many life lessons from that movie. And the thing at the end, when, you know, they're all coming to help George and uh, at the end is the book of uh, Mark Twain and Clarence had somehow left that book for him under the tree. And it says, um, a man who ha is, is never, it's something like, and I got to go back and look at it exactly, but it's a man who has friends is the richest man in town. You know, something like that. Nice. Uh, and uh, thank you, baby. Um, you know, when it comes down to uh, friendship, you've got to put the work it, you know, and, uh, you know, it's something I do all the time because I've always got time for my friends. And if I don't call somebody back, 
that will be the that my iPhone will have that little blue dot there until I call them back. Because <laughs> I'm not gonna not call them back. But sometimes I'm spinning 30 plates at one time, you know? Of course, of course. Dallas, why do you think you believed in yourself so much when nobody else did? Was it a burning desire inside of you? Were you like, this is what I was born to do? You had so much fun doing it. Where do you think that belief in yourself came from? I think it starts with a vision. Like, I literally see DDPY. I see it becoming a household name. And it's going to happen in the next five years. Um, I saw it 12 years ago. 12 years ago, I was doing an interview with a guy named um, Alex Marvez. No, not, not Alex. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember. It wasn't Alex Marvez. It was um, Brian Alvarez. And Brian had said to me, is 12 years ago, he said, where is Diamond Dallas Page five, 12? And at that time, he just said five years from now. So this is 12 years ago. So this is like 2008. And I said, five years, Diamond Dallas Page will start to be considered the new Jack Willane meets Tony Robbins meets straight Richard Simmons. And of course, he laughed. Because uh, I do help a lot of big people, you know. I said, but I honestly believe that at some point, my program is going to overshadow my wrestling career. And he was like, what? <laughs> Remember, this is 2008. Didn't take off till 2012. Uh, and he was like, bro, that's a bold statement. Because you had a hell of a career. And I know your program's helping people, but, you know, to be in that spot, I said, yeah, man, but I honestly believe it. Because by that time, I'd already helped Arthur Borman. And I saw what Arthur achieved with me guiding him on the phone and following the program. So when I, you know, most people know him by name now, which is funny. It's amazing that most people know the name Arthur Borman because they know because he's the disabled veteran that I help walk again in this, those in, in not just walk, but run. And, you know, that's pretty powerful. But I knew that. And I didn't know when it was going to happen. And you're going to love Relentless. You're going to you're going to love Relentless. And uh, it's going to uh, we'll probably come back when that comes on. And then you'll re really see the whole story. And th th we had it finished over a year ago. And I was like, we got to get this out there. I want people to see this documentary. And then we got so busy that like six months went by. And then in January of this year, I did that match with AEW. And the next morning I woke up and I was like, I know why we haven't released that documentary yet. Because this has to be in it. That has to be in it, yeah. So now I had to go back to the lawyer. First of all, we had to edit it, tell the story, figure out how to put it back together again, then send it back to the lawyers and let them, because you know, we use different footage from different spaces. But as long as it's a documentary, as long as you use it properly, then you're good. You know. So we make sure we have the best lawyers. Uh, did you ever see um, Blackfish? No, I didn't see that. Documentary Blackfish. Oh, dude, you gotta watch that. That's where they talk about. Uh, it's a whole all about like the the, the killer whales and Sea World and how effed up they treat those poor animals. Yes, I saw some of that though. Okay, yes, yes, I saw some well, of that. We have that same lawyer because if if, wow. if SeaWorld didn't come down on those guys, you know, then you know that those that they make you they make you change 
anything that could be a gray area. Not black wow. and white. It's gray. You can't use it because they, 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 they're going to sign that. They're going to sign off on it and say, we approve this. So I had to take it all back and do it again. And again, got to thank God for the things that don't happen. Because if it would have been out, it wouldn't have had that. And that go home piece, and Cody talks in it. And it's powerful. It's powerful. So going back to believing in myself, I'll give you a best example. I was in Hollywood, 2000, I was there for 12 years, 10 years, let's see, six, six, yeah, 10 years. And I was not a big fan of Hollywood. A lot of two plastic people and I need real people to be around me. And I did find quite a few of them by the end of the 10 years. Um, and God, I'm so thankful I'm not out there now, God. L.A. is like the holding cell for hell now. My God. Um, I still have a lot of fr friends out there. But I'm meeting with this producer. I can't remember his name. I know his first name was John. And I know he did some big movies. And he wanted to meet me. Because that's how you can get a lot of different meetings. Because they're big fans. You know? So yeah, you take them. Because there's no bad meetings. Of course. And... Uh, and uh, I tell them what I want to do, and I'm studying an actor, Howard, Howard Fine's acting studio. I'm not here to say, hey, I'm an actor, even though I already was, but I want to study. I want to get better. And uh, he said, you know, Dallas, you, uh, you, you trapped lightning in a bottle at a time when, you know, like it was impossible to do what you did. You know, but to have the career you had starting at 35, you know, you know, you really, you got, you got lightning in a bottle and you think you're going to come out here to LA and you're going to do it again. I said, I'm not trying to be the rock, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I just want to be a working actor. So, you know, I think I'm going to pull it off. I think it's going to take a while. And I might get derailed a couple of times, but I think I, th I think it's going to take a while. Yes, I do think, I think you're wrong. I because he, he had told me to do to become an actor to do it all over again in this town. He goes, it's going to be like a trillion to one. You're never going to pull it off. Disagree with you, and he goes, really? He goes, with all the experience I have. You think I'm wrong. Why? I said, I know how I did it the first time. It wasn't, I just got struck by lightning. I worked my ass off. And the beautiful thing is, you know, 20 years later, this winter on, on uh, Netflix, there'll be a Netflix original called Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's a very dark, you've never seen anything like it. It's a very dark superhero show, a uh, little series. Uh, and you, like I say, you've never seen anything like it. It's got so many different genres in it. And I'm one of the producers, creators, and one of the leads. And it, nice man. And we might get lucky. You know, we might get lucky um, because that's what it takes. It takes luck. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that it's so different, and it's the story is so well told. So it's just been told like no other story has been told that it could change my life again. And again. I'm the biggest fan in the world of The Rock. You know, huge fan of him as a human being and what he's done with his life and as an actor. Um, it's everything that he's done. Um, I think he has changed how we are viewed 
as actors. Hence, John Cena, who is also killing it. Dave Bautista, who is also killing it. I mean, I'm so, so happy for those guys, you know, because they all work so hard and they believe themselves. So in the middle of that, I started to work on what's known today as DDPY because I knew I could control that. And I was going to put my own money in. And I literally had $548,000 in the program from editing, the filming, the PR people, yeah, you name it. <laughs> Where you know wow. it, for, you know, $548,000 is not a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, it took that long, though. It took eight years. And then our company started to take off. And it's never looked back. And the worst we've ever done is do the same number we did the year before, you know, or a little bit more. Every year, though, we've increased. And some years, we've increased dramatically. And I just looked at as a number of more and more people are doing our program. More and more people are talking about it. And so you do little things that you know you can do to build confidence. And you asked me how I knew I could do it. Failure was not an option. And wrestling was the first big thing, really running nightclubs and owning a piece of nightclub. That was the first thing I did. And it took years to make that happen. But uh, it all led to the wrestling thing to go back to. Because I tried wrestling when I was 23. It just didn't work out for me. But I knew I was supposed to be involved in it. And later, that would happen. Like that picture I showed you of DiBiase and uh, Luke the Bushwhacker, I wasn't in wrestling. Wow. You know, I, I think I just started in the, I, I think I just started in the AWA with that picture. I might've been in the AWA for three months wow. and they played the shows on Saturday, Saturday at 12 o'clock at night. And the reason why they were in my club, because Jake was the first one to come in my club and uh, he just strolled in there because if you worked in Miami and then you were going to uh, Tampa, that's almost 300 miles. Right in the middle is Fort Myers. And yep. Fort, that was only one of the clubs that I ran. Again, I ran like six different clubs over my nightclub <laughs> tenure. Dallas, two more questions, brother. What's your favorite type of music? You know, I don't have a favorite. I love old school rock and roll. Yeah, I love the stuff I grew up with. I love country music. I love rap. I love certain rappers a lot. <clears throat> um, I love Frank Sinatra and that whole era. Um, like I've got a, a, a mix that I put up, which is just Frank and Friends. And that will get played, you know, every seven to 10 days, you know. And, nice. And there's, mo there's most likely accompanied by a glass of wine, you know. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I, I love, uh, you know, my girl listens to a lot. I like, I like, like beats that hit hard, like, you know, old school Marilyn Manson and Rob Zombie. And I mean, I'm, I'm very, like, I love classical music. You know, I mean, there's, there's really nothing that if it's well done, I'm going to like it. And I don't care if it's bluegrass. I'm not a big bluegrass fan, but if it's done really well, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, I appreciate the artists, you know, I, I love them all. Dallas, you've done a ton of interviews, man, your whole life. And you've started and you did some at the beginning. What makes a good interview, in your opinion? Uh, besides yours? My favorite interview to date is Joe Rogan. Because Joe, first of all, we were on for two hours and 19 minutes. 
it seemed like it was 12 minutes and it was over. Um, he's, he's the same type of individual that I am as far as, and yourself, you know, the positivity, you know, he, he, you know, he speaks from positions of how he lives his life. And to me, you know, it was so funny. I was trying to get on his show because it's the most watched show. I mean, he's this generation's Howard Stern. And I was trying to get the people to get on his show for five years. And then I caught a um, a YouTube. And all it was was Joe talking. It was all inspirational stuff that he would. And it was all pieced together from probably 12 different shows. After it was over, I went, man. I look up and go, God, I got to get on this guy's show. I swear to God. Two days later, I get a DM from Rogan. And it says, hey, bro, coming out to LA anytime soon? Love to interview you. Oh, there we go. That's awesome. <laughs> I popped. I popped. But I, you know, I, I really love them all because... I very I met very few people I didn't think were uh, were interesting to talk to, and uh, you know we're talking about something that I know changes the world. So then people ask me, so what are you doing these days? Like I'm changing the world every day, you know. And I think anybody who's not trying to change the world in some sort of positive fashion, they're kind of wasting time. I, I can't agree with you more. Yep, I can't agree with you more, man. Listen, I think I said it last time when I had you on. I'll say this again. I think you're more caring, more special as a person than you were as a wrestler, which is a big thing. I think you're just starting. I think your impact with what you've shown on the documentaries, what you're going to show on Relentless from the preview that I've seen, is going to really start setting you apart to be this generation's man, like a special kind of successful person to be able to do it at your age. So I'm a big fan of you always, and I'm a big fan of your movement, man. Before I let you go, anything I can do for you, man? Any questions for me? You know, um, no, I don't. I love what you're doing with the whole positivity thing. I think that, that it's like negative breeds negative. Yeah. Positive breeds positive. And as you know, it's when people go, and you're one of the most positive people I know. And I know you hear the same thing. It's like, how do you do it? We work at it. That's, that's, that's how we do it. We work at it. And, you know, I try to, you know, it comes down to, you know, how you talk to me and how I talk to you. And I don't want to be, I don't want to get, you know, pulled into somebody's drama. You know, I, like, my, my girl and I will we'll watch five minutes of CNN, five minutes of Fox. I can't take it anymore. Got to go over to, got to go over to ESPN, which now it's just back to sports, you know. And then I find my way to Netflix or, you know, uh, Amazon Prime if I want to just chill out and watch. Uh, like last night, we watched It's a Wonderful Life. If you're watching, watch it this holiday season. It'll teach you so many lessons. Anybody wants to know about my program, don't even listen to a word I say. Go to DDP, go to ddpy.com, ddpyoga.com. Uh, you can see Twitter, Instagram. Um, uh, and Twitter, it's at Diamond Dollars Page, at DDP Yoga. Um, that's, that's Instagram, right? And Twitter, at Real DDP, at DDP Yoga. But the one place I always tell people, don't listen to what I say about my program. We have, Coach, we have this site called DDP Yoga. One word on on Facebook. It started with a couple of members who were on there. You push it, you push the like button, you're a member. Um, there's over 53,000 people there now. Wow. And they are the most caring, helpful, empathetic, inspiring people you will ever find on the internet. So I invite everybody to go over there. Facebook, DDP Yoga, one word. 
check it out. Let's Great do it. talking to you. You're the man. Your time and have an awesome ho- have an awesome holiday, brother. You're the man, Stay brother. Up. Love you, man. Good job. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. You too, buddy. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.